going to finish up our series on relationships. We've been in this for a couple weeks. Uh, Steve talked about dating and the purpose and the struggles of, of dating. And then last week we talked about singleness and the concept of singleness being both a gift and how just hard it can be um, for so many different people, especially as we're entering into the holidays. And um, if you haven't been here for the last couple of weeks, you could check both of those out on the podcast, uh, Echo CU Eugene College uh, podcast. Um, but if you're listening to this right now on the podcast, because I'm recording this, well, we're glad you're here. Um, but for the rest of you guys, tonight we are going to talk about friendship. Friendship. Now, the basis of any relationship, right, is friendship, hopefully, right? Whether you're dating, you're married, like hopefully you're friends with the person you're in a committed relationship with. If not, you should back up, maybe have a very deep conversation and slow your roll because friendship is so valuable and important in any relationship. That's where it all begins, right? It's necessary. It, it is the foundation of deeper relationships um, and I think it's important that we look at this from a biblical perspective. In Genesis chapter 2, right, all the way back at the very beginning, God says it is not good for man to be alone. God spoke the earth, the universe into existence, and all this stuff. And there's a guy named Adam, and he's hanging out with a bunch of animals. And he's like, God, I don't see anybody else that looks like me. And God's like, you know what? You're right. Let's change that. So the Bible says he puts Adam to sleep and he steals a rib from him. Now, it was God's rib to begin with, so it's not like he was taking something that didn't belong to him. He takes this rib out of Adam and he forms this woman and Adam wakes up and there's Adam and there's Eve and God says it is good. Now, how many of you guys, when you think about Adam and Eve, you immediately think like, well, that's his wife, dude. Like, of course, like that's... Like, that's, that's so often how the entire thing is presented to us if you've been in church for any amount of time or anything like that. We start off, we've got Adam, we've got Eve, they get married, and then God says, be fruitful and multiply, and what they do is they eat from the tree and all this bad stuff happens, and then fast forward a long period of time, and here we are in a world that just doesn't seem to be getting any better, right? Where God starts is he creates Mankind, he creates a person in his image, and he said it is not good for them to be alone. Now, obviously, Adam and Eve, they were married, but before that, they, they had to have built some sort of a friendship. Like, could you imagine being stuck in a relationship that you can't get out of with someone that you can't stand? And some of you are like, I can absolutely picture that. Like, that's my family. That's my parents. Like, maybe that's your aunt that comes to Easter or Christmas. She's like complaining all the time. And you're just like, oh, man, that's not what we want, right? That's not what, that's not what I want for any of you guys. Hopefully that's not what you want for yourselves, right? Instead, we should look at any relationship through the lens of friendship. And while Scripture doesn't give any any specifics to this dating process here or Adam and Eve becoming married, he does give us this picture of friends. Now, I'm married. My wife, Rebecca, helped lead worship last week. Some of you guys know her. Some of you guys don't. Um, and she is absolutely my best friend, right? And that's like, that's, that's the goal. If you're married one day, I really hope it is to your best friend in the entire world. Now, how do I determine that she is my best friend? Well, first off, we spend time together. We talk, we hang out, we go on road trips, 
We bathe our dog together. I don't recommend that. It's a nightmare if you've ever given a dog a bath. Like, it's just not fun. Dogs don't like it. People don't like it. If you have a dog that likes baths, can we talk about this afterwards so I can figure out how to convince her to do that, right? We watch TV. We, like, we, we spend time together doing things that we like, and, but we each have our own interests. We each have our own jobs. We each have our own friends. Like, there are friends that she has that, like, they're fine, but, like, I'm not like, oh, man, it's Thursday night. I can't wait to hang out with your best friend from third grade who, like, I have nothing in common. Like, the only thing that we have in common, right, is Rebecca. And in reality, you can think of a friendship as almost like a Venn diagram. You guys know what a Venn diagram is, right? There's two circles, and when they cross over, there's like this, 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 this center point right there. This Venn diagram, Rebecca and I started off as two independent circles, and we started to kind of overlap. And, and I would say that a good relationship doesn't mean that you've got a ton of space that overlaps, right? But you've got things that are super important that overlap. And that's not just being married to somebody. That's like any friendship, right? You've got to have something in common with your friends. Now, I think there's different levels, different stages of friends. Do you guys agree? First, you've got like your acquaintances, like the people that like you have like met a couple times. Maybe they're like friends of friends, but like there's nothing about them that you are like, man, they are like my favorite person in the world unless you've got, like, a really weird, like, attachment kind of thing to them, and you're just like, I mean, like, sometimes it's, like, with that, like, have you guys ever, like, spoken to somebody that you didn't really know on, like, Instagram, on, like, DMs and stuff like that, and then you go to talk to your friends, and you're like, yeah, I talked to so-and-so last night, and they're like, wait, 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 like, this person, like, six million followers, this person, like, yep, and like, oh, what happened, like, oh, I said, I love that place, and they said, me too. We're pretty much best friends at this point. Right? That doesn't actually happen. Maybe it happens. I don't really know. You got these acquaintances. Like, this is not the kind of person that you're, you're going to road trip and you're going like, to call them up like, hey, can I crash on your couch? Unless you're like me because I have issues with boundaries. And quick, quick side story. Rebecca and I went on a road trip to Texas um, this last summer. And I called my friend Kayla. Now, I haven't seen Kayla in, I don't know, 12 years, 13 years. And I was like, hey, I know you just moved to Austin like two weeks ago, but can we crash on your couch? And she was like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. So we stayed on her couch in her apartment and our car got towed because she said they didn't do any towing, so we just parked in the parking lot. And like, who's ever had their car towed? One person. I am envious. I've had my car, okay, there we go. Um, you'll get there. You're young. You will have a car towed at some point in time. Every... Three out of the last five vacations I've been on, my car's been towed. Um, maybe I should stop going on vacation. Uh, maybe so. So we stayed at her house, and on the way back, we were going through Denver, Colorado. And we were, like, looking at our budget, and we were like, I don't want to spend any more money. So we called this guy that she worked with at Dutch Bros six years ago, who I haven't, we haven't seen. Like, she wasn't super close to him. And I was like, hey, dude, are you guys still in Denver? I didn't even have his phone number. I messaged him on Facebook. Where you could find anybody. Hey, man, are you guys still living in Denver? He was like, yeah, dude, what's up? And I was like, can we stay at your house? <laughs> and he was like, absolutely. We love having people over. Here's the thing. We only have one car, and my wife is going to have the car. So can you, like, hang out until, like, 10 p.m. until I get home from work? And I'm like, 
Yeah, dude, that's going to save me like $300. Absolutely, I can, whatever you need me to do. And I asked him, and we go to his house, and he's got this gorgeous house, and he buys us dinner, and he buys us snacks, and we hang out with his dog, and I was like, dude, you are like the perfect person. I want to move to Denver just to hang out with you, just to be better friends with you. And he was like, dude, that'd be so sick. And he's talking about like, oh yeah, we love going to this neighborhood and that restaurant. Like, you guys should totally move here. And on the way out of Denver, I was like, Rebecca, do you want to move to Denver? I just want to hang out with Josh. Like, I met his wife briefly. We got in at one, we came back to the house for just a second and they had to leave in like 10 minutes. And like, I walked in, she helped bring some stuff into the uh, house from my car and I said hi to her and that was it. And then she left and I was like, these are like our best friends now. We have to move to Denver. Again, I have these, these boundary issues. Um, we've got these acquaintances, right? These people that we may not know very well, but we're starting to kind of get to know them. And then we have a group of people I like to call school friends. And when I say that, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Like that, that person that sat next to you in like third period geometry in high school, and like they weren't your friend, but they were better than everybody else in class. Like, you could, you could put up with them. You know the people I'm talking about, right? For some of you, like, a specific name and face is coming to mind. Maybe you've forgotten the name, but you will never forget that face, right? These school friends are people that you are not ready to hang out with on the weekend. Like, if you're having a birthday dinner, they're not the first person on your list unless you sat next to them because you thought they were really cute and you wanted your Venn diagrams to cross over a little bit more, if you know what I'm saying, Right, we've got these school friends. We've got these people that, you know what? We're in the same place, the same time. There is something mutual about this situation, and we become friends. And if you think back, if you pause and think back, think back to like kindergarten, maybe even like preschool, right? The first people you became friends with were not because you had anything in common with. It was because, you know, Miss Johnson sat them next to you on the rainbow rug in kindergarten and they became your best friend for all of elementary school, right? In so many ways, friendships start because of similar situations and periods of life. Can I teach you guys on a friendship journey with me for just a second? Four-year-old Ryan, in my backyard, me and my brother Jared, we're playing on this toy called a sit and spin. You guys ever heard of a sit and spin? Okay, who's ever been on the teacup ride at Disneyland? Think about that with no motors, right? Flat board, steering wheel in the middle, you sit, you twist, you spin. It's very simple. We're playing on a sit and spin. My mom comes out and she goes, hey, I'm going to start watching some boys on Fridays in the afternoons. They're going to come over today and I want you to meet them. Four-year-old me and two-year-old Jared, that's my brother, we okay. We're playing on a sit and spin. These kids walk up, and our parents, our moms introduce us. Like, Ryan, Jared, this is Devin and David. And I kid you not, maybe the most awkward interaction of my life. I still remember this. This is, this I'm like, we stand there, sit and spin in between us. Me and my brother on one side, Devin and David on the other side, just standing there. Like, we've never seen another human being before in our lives. Now, the way my memory serves it, it was like an hour just standing there, like silence, just heavy breathing from a four-year-old. And all of a sudden, I go, you want to ride on my sit and spin? And David, the older brother, he just shakes his head, no, like not having it. But Devin, the younger brother, goes, sure. 
And he sits down and he goes, what do I do? And I go, you spin. <laughs> so sit and spin. I mean, like there's, there's not much else you can do with it here. You sit, you spin. So we get him spinning and he's having a blast. And then David's like, my turn. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let your brother have a turn. Being like, the, you know, future pastor, big brother, extrovert. That I like, right? David, yeah, you sit down. We get him spinning. I take a turn. My brother takes a turn. In the course of like 45 minutes, we go from staring at each other like the other person doesn't exist to you are my best friend. I was four years old. Three months later, I started kindergarten. David was in my class. We were best friends through seventh grade, right? Like that. We went from uh to like best friend. <laughs> they came over to my house every single Friday night from kindergarten to fifth grade, right? The amount of birthday parties, the amount of hours we spent at Chuck E. Cheese together playing the side-scroll Ninja Turtles game. If you want a 90s throwback, that is the one. We spent so much time together, literally football, birthday parties, building ramps in the street, riding our bikes over it, falling into ditches. Like we, I, jumped, I fell out of a tree one time, and David just pointed and laughed at me. Right? Like, that's a friend. That's a friend. And he's not the kind of friend who goes, oh my gosh, are you okay? Yes, ha-ha. It was, ha-ha, that had to hurt. <laughs> yes, I just fell 15 feet out of a tree, man. Of course that hurt. But the, the memories that I have with Devin and David, like, I will, I will never forget. He was my best friend through all of elementary school. And we ended up moving away, and as it often happens, we were no longer in that situation, that context. We were in the same place at the same time, our lives kind of started to diverge. They still lived in one town. We lived in the other. It was only about 45 minutes away. But when you're like 11 or 12, 45 minutes is an eternity, right? Hey, mom, can you bring me 45 minutes into the city so I can go see my friend? And, and sometimes we would. I remember one time we went to this pizza place with an arcade, right? We love pizza and arcades, Chuck E. Cheese, obviously. But this is a different pizza place, different arcade. You guys know that game Hydro Thunder? No. I'm speaking to a different crowd. Some of you guys in here do. It was this like jet boat racing game and it had this like throttle and stuff like that. Well, I ran out of quarters and I was like, I want to play. And David just goes, kick it. So I backed up and Sparta kicked it and $30 in quarters just, it was a jackpot. I thought I was rich. And all this money's shooting out and my brother and I are like, Yes. And we're gone for another two hours playing video games. My mom's like, I gave you five bucks. How are you playing video games for five hours or two hours? We're like, I won $30. And she goes, how'd you win $30? You kick stuff hard enough, you get paid. That's how this works. And my mom made us go tell the manager what I did. And he was like, well, I, I should make you pay it back, but I'm not going to. And I think in my mom's mind, I was just like, oh, that backfired because they wasted all $30 on games already. And I was not about to pay an extra $30. David was there for that. He was there for all of these different memories. But as little kids, right, the relationship that you have is like that of a little kid. You fall, you get hurt, your friends are there, they laugh at you. It's great. It's, it's good fun, right? The sleepovers and the popcorn and movies and video games and all that sort of stuff. But as you get older, your friendships develop. And not only do your friendships develop, but, but your, your struggles and your problems develop, right? 
I remember being in middle school and I had a crush on this girl. Her name was Jessica and I asked her out and she said no. And like, I was crushed. I was devastated, right? I'm not going to go home and talk to my mom about that. Absolutely not, right? I did what every other emo seventh grader would do and they just went home and they like, I like turned on the stereo as loud as it would go and I just started screaming punk rock music and stuff like that. Like, that was definitely who I was. Still am, a little bit. Um, and after I get all my anger and rage out, I do want to talk to somebody about it. But again, not my mom. So I call up my friend Michael, who once I moved, Michael kind of became my best friend. We were best friends through most of high school. I called up Michael, and I was like, dude, I asked out Jessica, and she said no. And he was like, oh, dude, I heard she said that she was going to go to homecoming with this other kid, which, like, that is not at all what I needed to hear. And I was even more devastated and, like, it was just this big thing. But he's like, how about you come over and we'll go shoot paintballs at each other? And I was like, that is exactly what I need to do. Because as your struggles develop and as your friendships develop, you need somebody who's not only there for the birthday parties and, and you know, the, the football games and that sort of stuff. You need people to sit in your mess. And you need people who can just be in the hard stuff with you. Before Jesus goes to the cross, the weight of what's about to happen with him um, kind of really starts to dawn on him. He had been with the disciples for about three years doing ministry, these 12 guys, right, traveling all over the place. And he had told them multiple times, the son of man is going to die. I am the Christ. I'm going to be crucified. He would tell them all this stuff, but I don't think for any of them it really settled in, Right? Like, can you imagine Jesus is like, yeah, I'm going to be crucified. They're going to hang me on a cross. I'm going to die. And they're like, yeah, Jesus, sure, whatever. But as it starts to get closer, I think the gravity of it really starts to hit Jesus. Have you guys ever had a situation like that? Maybe you're going to quit a job or high school graduation before you're going into college. Maybe you moved away. Something big. And as it gets closer and closer, maybe there's excitement. Maybe you're eager. Maybe there's anxiety or there's stress. There's a deadline coming. And Jesus, the Son of God, who knew exactly why he was put on earth, to die for the sins of the world, as that, that day draws closer, Jesus starts to feel that. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 36, it says, Then Jesus went to be with them in a place called Gethsemane, and he said to the disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray, taking it with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. So it would be Peter, James, and John says he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And they, he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will, God. And he came back to the disciples and he finds them sleeping. And he wakes them up and he's, he's pretty frustrated. And he says to Peter, he says, so you couldn't watch me for just an hour? One hour, that's all I asked you to do. And Jesus says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
Again, for the second time, he went away and he prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise and let us get going. My betrayer is at hand. This, in in maybe Jesus' darkest moment until he's actually on the cross, it says he gathers the disciples with him, right? Eleven of them. Judas, the the betrayer, he's, he's gone. He's not there. But he gathers the disciples, and then he takes his three best friends from that group, right? Like, think back. You've probably got a friend group, but there's one or two people that you hang out with more than anybody else in that group of of however many friends you have, right? Jesus takes these disciples, and he says, watch me pray. And in Luke's account of the same story, it says that Jesus is so stressed out, he is sweating blood. And here he invites his friends into his mess. I don't think I would be wrong at all to say that the vast majority of us in this room, especially if you call yourself a Jesus follower, you try and keep people, even the ones you care the most about, at arm's length from the things that are darkest inside of you. Because we want to look the part. We want to to seem right. Maybe if we can convince the people that know us the best that we're okay, we can convince ourselves that whatever this is, it's not that big of a deal. It's not really happening. Jesus is sweating blood, knowing in hours he is about to die. And this is not just Jesus being afraid of the physical pain, right? Don't don't mistake that Jesus goes, man, I really don't want to to hang on a cross and suffocate. He doesn't necessarily want to do that, right? Like if I was like, hey, you guys want to go on Thursday night and like go get tied to a cross or nailed to a cross and like hang out literally for a couple hours, you'd be like, absolutely not, Ryan. That's a terrible idea and you should not do it either. Jesus is not only afraid or concerned with the physical pain, but the spiritual pain, knowing he is about to take the wrath of God for the sins of the world for all eternity, past, present, and future. Jesus welcomes his friends into his pain and into his struggle. Jesus knows exactly what he is doing. And we've got this account. We've got it in Matthew. We've got it in Mark. We've got it in Luke. And we've got it in John. We've got this account and all four accounts of the gospel. Matthew and John were there when it happened. Matthew and John were there when it happened. And as we read this 2,000 years later, we see Jesus, right? The model human being that never sinned. This is how we should live life, welcoming his friends into his pain. Jesus says, says, God, if if there's any other way, let's do that because this is really not going to be fun. But your will be done. And he shows the disciples that. And he comes back and they're asleep. Imagine calling on your friend when you need them the most and they're like, oh, sorry, I got this thing. 
and you hear about what the thing is, it's like, oh, I got to go like feed my dog. And you're like, that's going to take like 30 seconds. Just sit with me in the middle of this wait. Because this friendship is not just supposed to be the, the highs and the celebrations and the birthday parties and, and, and the championship games and that sort of stuff. It's deeper than that. Romans chapter 12, verse 9, there's this heading above this. says, marks of a true Christian. And Paul writes, he says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection. This friendship, this depth of relationship. He says, outdo one another with, it, with showing honor. Do not be slothful or lazy in zeal, be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. And this verse right here, verse 12, it says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Show and seek hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. And then again, verse 15, the rejoice, he says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Some translations use the word grieve. Grieve with those who grieve. Mourn with those who mourn. Highs and lows. It says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty or arrogant, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. Love one another as brothers. That's, that's a lot easier to do when, when we're in a good spot, when they're in a good spot. When things seem okay, it's really easy to love people well. But when we get stressed, when we get anxious, when, when those things kind of start to hit us, man, that's not fun. And how many of you, like with your siblings or with your parents even or with your roommates, you get stressed out and you kind of start like, you know, snapping back at each other, right? Your words get really short, you're anxious, you're stressed, and maybe even like visibly like you just, you just can't, you just, you just can't. Jesus demonstrates welcoming the people that know us best and care about us the most into that. And he says, rejoice with those who rejoice. But mourn with those who mourn. Grieve with those who grieve. Guys, a mature, godly friendship is not just the good stuff. It's also in the middle of the hard stuff. This thing that I've been doing lately that, that seems kind of weird um, is when I talk to my friends and I say, well, how's it going? And you know how you get like small talk, like, oh, it's fine. Or even like, maybe like right now, because like everybody's just dealing with crap. We're like, oh, still alive. Right? I asked somebody that today. I said, how are you doing, man? He said, how am I doing? I said, how are you doing? And he goes, I'm doing. And I was like, same, man. What's going on? And that next step, that dig a little bit deeper. It was cool because he started to open up a little bit just about the things that have been weighing on he and his family and, and, and different things like that and, and work and life and this and that. And like, you start to get a different picture of a person. The same humanity that we feel that like, man, like if anybody saw these dark parts of me or knew this, maybe they would question 
Like, is he really qualified to be a leader in church? Like, some of those things. And we, we all deal with that stuff, but we don't want to show it. We don't want to broadcast it out. And then I've been asking this question, how's your relationship with the Lord? And right now, the relationship, I know a lot of you guys in here, I don't know everybody, but right now, I'm standing up here, and maybe you're like, well, that's like a super like normal pastory thing to say, right? How's your relationship with the Lord? How many of you guys go to your best friend, or even an acquaintance or a school friend, and you go, how's your relationship with the Lord? Because the answer to that question is never a simple, easy one, right? The answer to that question is never like, man, I'm in the best spot I've ever been in. Like, maybe that's true. But even when we're in those, like, those mountaintop moments with God, it still feels like there's weight all around us. In reality, guys, in my experience, when I'm in those mountaintop spaces with God, it's because I've really just surrendered and given over to him. But I don't think I have any friends. I'm going to be completely honest. I don't have any friends who like randomly over tacos on Tuesday would just go, Ryan, how's your relationship with the Lord doing? And as I realized that I don't have any of those people in my own life, I was like, I need to be that for people because you know what? They probably don't have that either. Real friends are not just there for the celebration but for the questioning, for the hurt, the highest of mountains and the deepest of valleys. Who do you guys choose to welcome into those spaces? Not just the ones that are up here, but the ones that are at the very, very bottom. One of my best friends in uh, 2019 moved from San Francisco to Portland. We grew up with the middle school and high school together. He was a couple years younger than me. And he was supposed to move to Eugene with me when I moved here seven years ago from Louisiana. Um, and literally like two months before we moved, he was like, hey man, I don't feel like I'm supposed to go. And I was like, that's okay. Like I'm not, I'm not doing this for you or just with you. Like I, I'll miss you though. And he ends up moving to San Francisco a couple months later and I went to, got to go visit him and stuff like that. Um, and he met his now wife there, but they were dating at the time and they, they moved from San Francisco to Portland, uh, middle of 2019. And if you've ever moved to a new city, you know that just like meeting people in general can be difficult, figuring out your living situation, figuring out work stuff. They were both working remote. This is pre-COVID. And then all of a sudden, COVID hits in Portland. The city shuts down. You went from already feeling isolated to Now there's this, at first, and like we all remember, at first none of us knew what was happening with COVID, right? I remember Rebecca and I went to the grocery store. We would like wipe down carrots with like a a Clorox wipe because like we didn't know what to do and now my carrots taste like bleach and like I don't want that. And like imagine you're in a brand new city, you know like three people in the entire city of two million people and the city is on lockdown and you're not leaving the house, you're not meeting anybody, you don't have coworkers, right? You work remote at home. And a couple months into that, he gets a phone call that his dad passed away, super unexpectedly. So now compounding with you're in a new city, you don't have any friends. Now the, the world's on lockdown. We're all trying to figure out what's going on. People are afraid. People are angry, all this stuff. 
and you get the call that one of the most important people in your life is not there anymore. And I remember hearing that, and my heart just broke. This was like, I'm, I met his dad. His dad was this big guy. He's like 6'7". And he had a voice like this. And I remember I would, I would be, he, would, he had been in an accident, and he had lost some of his fingers. So when he'd shake your hand, he'd wiggle his nubs on your hand. And it would just feel really, really uncomfortable. And he'd go, how you doing, son? And it was this like really weird thing. And, and my friend, his girlfriend, she called me one day, and she goes, hey, He's just, he's just feeling it right now. He needs people around him, people that love him. Can you send a video? I'm asking anybody who knew his dad, can you send a video about his dad to him? Just, just these memories, just these things that like, you're not, you're not in this alone. His parents were divorced. His mom didn't want to talk about his dad. She had just bad things. She had so much anger pent up. His older brother was like, he's got the emotional maturity of like a toddler. Like he didn't even know how to talk about it. Like, so he had nobody to talk to. So I was just sending this video. I was, I was actually out of town and I was standing on the beach and I get this phone call and I'm gonna send the video right now. So here I am like taking a selfie on the beach. People are like playing outside on the beach. And I'm like, hey man, I know you lost your dad. This is hard. This is a struggle. But Kim asked me to do this. I remember, remember seeing your dad. I remember going to the gas station. Your dad just getting a fountain drink from somewhere in his big old truck. I remember him wiggling his weird nubs on my hand when I go to shake his hand. Like, and just these memories of his dad. And I sent it back to her. She put in an iMovie and she made this big like video collage. Like, this is so sweet. That's who you want to be in a relationship with, guys. Find, find you somebody who's going to make a video collage for you. That's a mixtape, right? There you go, wise words from Ryan. Um, and he calls me a couple days later, and he goes, man, I just want to say thank you, and he starts breaking down on the phone. And he's like, it's been, it's been so hard, but that meant so much to me. And since then, you know, the world's reopened, stuff like that. We've gone back to Portland. We've visited them. And he walked away from the Lord a couple years ago. He's not, not involved at church or anything like that. And just being to sit with him on a picnic table in his backyard while he smokes and we talk about the things in life that just hurt. We might not have Jesus in common on our Venn diagram anymore, but we've got this depth of relationship that is way deeper than the surface. Guys, that's what we need. That's real friendship. Jesus tells his disciples in John 15, 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. Jesus says, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Guys, in the same way that I have a friend in my buddy Winston, or I have a friend in my wife Rebecca, God, the creator of the universe that spoke it into existence, calls you friend. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Guys, God does not look at us and goes, Man, these idiots, I guess they're my school friends. I guess I'll put up with them until they figure something else out. God looks at us. He calls us into his family, right? We are chosen family by the king of the universe. He calls us friend. 
but do we welcome God into our mess? It's really easy to follow Jesus when things are good. It's a lot harder to follow Jesus, not just cry out to Jesus, but to follow Jesus when it hits. The book of Hebrews says that we got Jesus as a Savior on this earth, dealing with the temptations and the crap that we deal with so that our God could relate to us. So that Jesus could go to the cross, so that he would endure the physical pain, but also that spiritual and emotional pain, knowing that he was dying for the sins of the world. Guys, that friendship is too important. Too monumental to just, to just let go by. But just in the way that Jesus brought his physical friends, Peter and James and John, into this moment of mourning, who are you inviting into your life? Who are you inviting into your joy and into your mess? And are those people pointing you closer to your Savior and Creator? Or are those people just telling you to calm down? Guys, real friends will point you to Jesus. They will call you out when you misstep. They will, they will be in your corner, even to the point where it hurts them. And we've all probably felt that, right? You've seen a friend, you've seen a person dealing with something, and your perspective allows you to see, man, if you would just do this, and you let hurt for them, man, that's that's the friends you want to find. That's the friends you want to keep. Those are the relationships worth investing in at all costs. And Jesus models that. So who are your friends? And do you invite them into something much deeper than the pizza parties and the celebration and the joy? And, and do you invite them into the darkest parts of who you are. Not everybody. I'm not saying you should walk out in the lobby during pizza and like, hey man, so I struggle with this and that and this and that and I did this the other day and like, oh yeah, like this hat, like I'm not saying that at all. But do you have people that you trust that you can share your mess with and that you can invite into your struggle? Who are your friends? And remember that above all else, God calls you friend.